0: This podcast is intended for UK and Ireland healthcare professionals only. It is my pleasure to welcome you to Series 3, Episode 5 of the ILD Academy Spotlight Podcasts, brought to you by Boehringer Ingelheim. Featuring prominent members of the UK and Ireland ILD community, these podcasts hope to shine a spotlight on the great work being done around the country. And break down some of the challenges facing us in delivering the excellent care to our patients. My name is Dr. Anne Marie Russell, a clinical academic at the University of Exeter, with a special interest in patient-reported measures and outcomes in interstitial lung diseases and patient-centred approaches. The title of today's episode is A Rheumatologist's Perspective in Interstitial Lung Disease, a focus on optimizing and integrating rheumatology services to coordinate patient care. And joining me on today's episode is Professor Dr. Maya Buck. Maya is a Professor of Rheumatology and Director of Experimental Medicine at the Centre for Musculoskeletal Research at the University of Manchester. Welcome, Maya. Thanks, Anne-Marie. It's great to be joining you for this podcast. So I wonder if, we, if I could start by asking you a little bit about yourself um, as a person or perhaps as your role as a clinician and researcher.
1: Sure. Yeah. So as you mentioned, so I'm a rheumatologist and um, I work both uh, in research uh, with the university, but also um, uh, within the clinical services in Manchester. And so my interests span across autoimmune diseases, predominantly systemic sclerosis and rheumatoid arthritis I have a particular interest in Um, both respiratory and cardiovascular comorbidity. And I worked in clinical trials and identification of biomarkers to help with precision medicine particularly. So um, it's it's a sort of broad bit of an eclectic programme, I suppose, but it's uh, quite beneficial to be working across diseases as well
0: and looking at uh, the various organ manifestations within that. So that leads me very nicely into my first question. So thinking about... um, patients who have a connective tissue disease-related interstitial lung disease. How can we optimise services to help us with identifying patients early? Yeah, so I think much of this speaks to,
1: I mean, fundamentally it speaks to the interdisciplinary working. Um, Certainly connecting together with the relevant disciplines and specialists underpins that. Um, and in terms of initially that first step of identifying, uh, patients with connected tissue disease that may have, uh, lung involvement, first step is education, obviously of health professionals, medical experts, uh, and developing services and care pathways that ensure it's a more integrated approach with our relevant colleagues. So in this case, obviously with our respiratory colleagues. So, multidisciplinary teams are a particularly effective way in the UK. They're so well established. We really we've learned from the oncology field, and they've become established. I think across all fields of discipline, and in rheumatology particularly, these um, are very well served because, by their very nature, we work across different organ systems and with other disciplines. So, multidisciplinary team uh, services, in some shape or form, I think are instrumental for this and working with our respiratory colleagues and developing pathways of care so that we can identify people um, early on uh, with lung involvement is important. But having an awareness, having the knowledge, obviously, of lung involvement, and that's for both clearly rheumatologists, as well as our lung colleagues, patients can present in different ways. So I think
0: education, obviously, um, is a central part of that as well. And I guess that's education, not only for patients and caregivers, but education for all healthcare professionals involved.
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, absolutely. So, yes, it's amongst specialists as well. And there'll be obviously uh, lung involvement. Connective tissue diseases aren't necessarily the most common. There's sometimes there are some particularly rare diseases. So uh, it's important for rheumatologists as well to be well informed uh, and educated about this and how patients may present um, so that's important, yes, for patients and carers, but often patients um, may present initially to the respiratory physicians with lung involvement and it not being clear that this is in association with a connective tissue disease, but also typically it's it's vice versa. So typically we see patients that present with other features of connective tissue disease and then it's being aware that we should be seeking out, looking for major organ involvement, such as lung, lung involvement, that's should be in our radar immediately um, so that we undertake the relevant tests, screening tests, um, obviously uh, appropriate assessment with the patient's history and exam to ascertain whether there's
0: any indication of potential lung involvement. So thinking about that importance of the multidisciplinary team, are there any particular challenges that we should be cognizant of when we're thinking about cross Speciality working, perhaps some um, challenges you faced and possibly some solutions you found to, to overcome those? Yeah,
1: I think geography. I mean, it depends how different hospitals are designed and structured. Uh, I used to work in Leeds. I would now work in Manchester. And in both, actually, rheumatology departments and the hospital structure, the respiratory team were not necessarily in the same physical space, hospital space, because there are multiple sites. So geography can be an obvious barrier. But I think, I mean, even prior to COVID, but particularly with the pandemic, we've all become much more conversant with virtual ways of working. So virtual MDTs really allow... um, as to capture specialists and relevant individuals from cross-hospital sites, cross-disciplines. It also facilitates, I mean, a lot of this care is necessarily tertiary-based, but also important is to bring in our colleagues from um, other maybe hospital sites. So I think virtual systems are important and MDTs are well-established in this way uh, in in many regions and departments. Communication with our colleagues. um, Again, electronic health records. I now work... Uh, in a trust where a few months ago introduced a fully electronic health record system, so it's the EPIC system. So that can cause a bit of disruption initially, clearly as we get more conversant with it, but it can also actually enhance... Communication it becomes much more of a responsive system compared to a um, more traditional paper-based record system and and liaising even through email and things. So I think there are um, obvious challenges. I think the most obvious is um, if you're geographically distinct and in maintaining effective communication. But I think we're more and more in the electronic digital era. Um, those barriers can be overcome with development, of course.
0: Um, I mean, I have to say from my own experience, I've always found uh, rheumatologists incredibly uh, approachable. (laughs) hope so. (laughs) Do you always find that there is that goodwill there to collaborate across teams?
1: Yeah, I mean, it can be tricky, isn't it? Because... um... People are stretched and specialists are stretched. And I think when I think about CTD-ILD, often I think what I find is within from the rheumatologist perspective, we often focus particularly on patients that have lung involvement because we recognize um, the sort of potential critical sense of that from a respiratory physician perspective, you deal with a whole host and large scale of patients with severe lung organ involvement. And so we are just one component of that. And, and that can make it quite challenging. It's not that there's no goodwill, but it can make it quite challenging. It goes back to your question about challenge, actually. That often, as a rheumatologist, I will focus and prioritize in my mind and uh, and systematically those that have lung involvement because we recognize, but actually they are a small component of the wider ILD population. Um, so the goodwill is there. I think it's the challenges that often we all face in terms of our hospital systems, constraints, pressures, time, etc. And that's where, again, the communication and, and developing methods of working To mitigate that, Uh, we can't obviously change necessarily our hospital systems in that sense, but certainly within those constraints, trying to develop systems that make it easier. So the goodwill is there. There is always a desire because we know it's for the benefit of our patients in the end, and that's fundamentally what we're aiming for. But it doesn't mean it's not tricky. And even with that um, goodwill and common ambition and goal, it can still sometimes be tricky to get the attention off. And that's where having these checks and balances through MDTs, et cetera, provides a natural um, platform to make sure that patients aren't getting missed, as it were, and it's not reliant on more ad hoc approaches
0: of communicating. I think you probably answered my next question a a little bit. I I was thinking about how we optimise care for patients from diagnosis on the continuum of care um, and wondering what we might need to do to to improve that. You've perhaps spoken to that a little bit, but I just wondered whether there was anything else that you wanted to add?
1: Um, no, I suppose it's emphasizing the point. I mean, we all have to. I don't know what um, for your from your experience whether virtual or shared combined clinics, face to face clinics, that can also work well. That's how I used to have it in, in Leeds, and it was it was a very effective approach. So then, maintaining care, it's not just from time of diagnosis. We then see patients together to make sure and just update, monitor, and then discuss management. So. Even with the MDT system, there is obviously the shared clinic, uh, combined clinic approach. And again, in rheumatology, there's good precedence for that. But it's a bit variable as to how feasible that is. Um, Bringing in our health professionals. So obviously, we work within the wider context of our health professionals. And I think in terms of maintaining that continuity, monitoring our nurse specialists can be highly effective for that. It requires often a bit more training, I suppose, because rheumatology nurse specialists may not necessarily be fully conversant. Again, that comes back to the education element. So I think bringing in the skills and the expertise across the two disciplines, but the full mix of the workforce can maybe help in terms of um how we maintain and monitor care for our patients. Um, because it's, I think you're right, it's not clearly about just identifying. It's then making sure that we optimise monitoring, we're responsive to changes in management that may be needed in treatment. So, um, yeah, I think it's it's through no one singular system. I think it's a combination of workforce and um, structural yeah. um service development pathways and i'm
0: guessing with the introduction of electronic patient health records although that is challenging in the initial phases once that becomes established um, and one good thing of COVID, I suppose, is, is that we've all embraced technology in a way we never thought we would, is that patients having access to their records and uh, having the opportunity to communicate directly, I guess, will yeah. change how we work in years to come.
1: Yeah, I mean, I mean, you're right. It, yeah, you're right. It does something about empowering the patient as well, uh, giving them full knowledge and the patient's empowered and Uh, And and we often do find that because now through our EHR system, the patient's connected to their health records. They can see exactly what's going on when results are through. And it's not holding us to account, but it's another form of a check check and balance system, I suppose. Um, So I think it's important for patients. It means um, it ensures that we're informing our patients and educating our patients effectively as well. They, there's also then a more effective medium for our patients to communicate when there may be a change in their overall condition, et cetera, that, um, so that you can, again, use EHR systems to highlight sort of early warning systems almost, isn't it, I suppose, uh, to, to
0: bring patients to our attention. Absolutely. And I guess for a lot of these patients, some of the pharmacological management is using drugs that require regular monitoring. And I'm I'm guessing that the rheumatology specialist nurses probably Mm. play quite an active role in in that part. I'm just wondering what the role is for primary care. And uh, in terms of working relationships, whether there are good models established or whether given the current climate that we're all in, that's another challenge. (laughs)
1: Yeah, I mean, I mean, you're right. I mean, the the concept of dealing with complex therapies that need monitoring on nurse specialists are very conversant with that's their bread and butter type of day to day work and shared care systems with GPs are very well established. So typically, with our disease modifying treatments, and one could argue the same approach for the kind of therapies um, that we have available for lung pathologies. That initial initiation on treatment, titration that may be needed, monitoring that may be needed, just to check that a patient is tolerating it okay, that is done initially by our nurse specialist. So typically it's the first three months, the first 12 weeks, depends on the drugs maybe slightly, but typically the first 12 weeks, making sure patients are on a steady dose of their treatment. And when there is stability and there's that confidence, then there is a direct shared care model with primary care so that then the GP can take on prescribing if it's appropriate, depending on the type of drug, but also the monitoring as well. So those systems are very well, much in place. And that's where, again, the shared care learning across disciplines can help. So rheumatology you nurse know, specialists can highlight models of care that have been established that could help
0: within the respiratory context where it may not be um, so widespread. And do you have much experience of specialist pharmacists? I'm not sure if they are increasing their roles in interstitial lung disease services. I didn't know about joint appointments across rheumatology as well.
1: Yeah, that's a great idea, isn't it? Yeah, again, like nurse specialists, we have specialist ph- rheumatology pharmacists with that because rheumatology really came into a, a hugely modern era at the turn of the century with the biologic drug revolution. And that really shifted, I suppose, the skills of our allied health professionals. It's fair to say that the care of our patients is fundamentally reliant on our nurse specialists and specialist pharmacists have a massive role Um, because collectively the specialist pharmacists with the nurse specialists as well, but they can really work to coordinate um, that pharmacological titration Education, counseling. We have specialist pharmacists. Our specialist pharmacist here does our disease modifying education and counseling when patients are getting started on new treatments. It's not just the domain of the nurse specialist, but certainly also in terms of navigating in terms of eligibility for drugs, the specialist pharmacist is always very well informed and conversant with that. So, works with the uh, clinicians as well as the nurse specialist to make sure that patients who are eligible are being um, identified for the right treatments but also helps navigate the system where there is some of that to do and, and, and certainly sometimes there is this, uh, there is an element of that um, to ensure that um, patients do actually get access to treatment.
0: Yeah. No. Thank you. You mentioned earlier about the patient pathway and I'm wondering about uh, patients who, who perhaps you've worked in West Yorkshire, in Leeds and in Manchester and certainly the geography is urban and rural and, and quite mm. lar- a large area, I would have thought, for your catchment area. Mm. So do you think that patients are getting access to the services they need? Do you think there are areas of disparity that we need to work on, maybe speaking to the the geography that you've experienced? I'm sure
1: there is disparity without having, in this context specifically, data access to care can be variable. I think in this sort of area that we're talking, in the context we're talking about today, it's often within the domain of tertiary centres. So that automatically potentially not excludes, but it um, creates a difference in terms of access to care and the type of care in the tertiary centre catchments compared to those in more rural locations. So I think that is a real issue. And I think both in Yorkshire and now in Greater Manchester, there is increasing emphasis not just in rheumatology, but generally the concept of developing regional pathways of care that really allow hospital systems and services to tap into the specialist services around the region. And that needs a lot of effort and and thought, and it's not an easy process. But again, there are some initial quick, easy wins, low-hanging fruit, I suppose, just to try and build that framework. So the MDT, virtual MDTs, and I think in rheumatology, we've become, again, with specialist commissioning, uh, that's led to and enabled the concept of regional virtual MDTs to ensure that patients out, are, who aren't in the tertiary centre get access to high-cost drugs, etc. cetera. comes back to education as well. Um, in, in the kind of diseases that get lung involvement in, in rheumatological conditions, they're not necessarily the most common. So it goes back to your original question about education of not just the patients, but also of rheumatologists, as well as our respiratory colleagues in not just in the tertiary centre but on a regional level. Um, having and so I think education's a massive part, but um having those MDT processes, it's work in progress, I think, Anri. It's not that it's I don't think in any region it's necessarily fully accomplished. But I think um yeah it comes back to having that connection between tertiary centers And those in rural, there is also an element of also a consistency in practice and approach. So making sure, and the UK particularly has generally been highly effective in this because we have NICE that uses evidence-based to form its guidelines and approaches and not just technology appraisals, but how we manage our patients. So it comes back to establishing a consistency in practice, ensuring we all have autonomy as clinicians, but certainly making sure that the evidence base that we have Informs our clinical practice, so it's generally, generally across the board, it's similar, uh, and I think that's really important. So that, together with the hub and spoke type mechanism and, and developing that kind of care, I think they're sort of a few strategies to help, again, mitigate that um, disparity in in healthcare that we see and ensure a
0: bit more equal access. So thinking about the importance of that evidence base for us working on the other side in hormonology aspects, is there anything that we should be thinking about perhaps in terms of risk scoring or or algorithms or rheumatology assessments that would help improve um, our diagnostic accuracy or perhaps speed up referral to pull a rheumatologist into uh, the assessment process?
1: I mean, initially in terms of rheumatology, Assessments, I suppose, you know, these kinds of educational podcasts are really important. It's about informing the community that in the context of ILD, it, there is a wider context with connected tissue disease. And so having some cursory basic understanding of what are the typical presentations or symptoms that a patient may um, present with or at least Uh, identify with if they are having an emergent or uh, development of connective tissue disease. And an important point is always, I always tell patients and and trainees and things, there are certain conditions in in medicine where it's very clear cut when patients present the acute situation, particularly, obviously, if a patient presents with a heart attack, chest pain, troponin rise, ECG change, connective tissue diseases, autoimmune diseases don't present immediately. uh, And often these evolve over time. So it can be relatively um, minor symptoms or non-specific even at some stage, and so it's I think always being mindful from a respiratory physician's perspective that if a patient has ILD, it's worth inquiring about the typical symptoms that often patients with autoimmune diseases will have, be that joint-related symptoms, skin um, Raynaud's phenomenon. These are um, in often initial presentations, more often patient most patients that have CTD ILD present with renones or joint involvement or skin involvement of some sort. So it's worthwhile asking the patient about the the, the wider symptom profile. And then clearly, if there is any suspicion, even if there isn't a, a clear symptom profile. Checking autoimmune autoantibody profiles is important. Increasingly, we recognize that patients with ILD may present in the context of not a fully classifiable autoimmune disease, but certainly may have evidence of that in terms of the autoantibody profile. So I would always encourage respiratory colleagues to test for that. Um, because that already then, having the presence of autoantibody activation with ILD already raises that index of suspicion that they may not be fully classifiable as, as a CTD, but they certainly have suggestion of. And that that then automatically then brings a rheumatologist in its early stage. In terms of risk algorithms, that'd be great, wouldn't it? I mean, we know that within certain CTDs, we recognize... Certain connective tissue disease, certain autoantibody types, certain presentations, certain subtypes are associated with a risk of ILD. But the purpose and the aim is certainly to improve upon that. So ideally, yes, if we can have clear biomarkers, prognostic um, and diagnostic, that would be great. And that's all part of the research programme. But we certainly have a clinical profile that we associate with risk-off. But as you say, developing risk algorithms, yes, important um, part of the whole personalised medicine concept. Uh, And that's a lot of work in progress as well. It's a lot of working with respiratory and rheumatology together in this space. Um, it's important also these risk al- when it comes to risk algorithms, when it comes to early detection, but also informing the trials. So as we want to try and identify better treatments and how we should be using these treatments and at what stage of treatment, et cetera, then all these elements become important. So, yes, it's important in our clinical practice. But even if we take a step back in terms of the the, the research that's done to get better management approaches and treatments to the clinic, I think having risk algorithms that identify early patients is important. The general concept in rheumatology started with rheumatoid arthritis. It's not novel particularly, but the notion that if you identify disease and pathology early on, then you have more chance of making some tangible change in the trajectory and the outcome compared to if you pick up later on. So yes, developing risk al- algorithms is clearly important
0: in the research agenda. And I guess that will also help with that early access to clinical trials as well, which may be be important depending on the clinical trials available at any given time. Absolutely, yeah. So as a rheumatologist, you work with um, a num you don't only work with pulmonologists, you work with a, a range of, of specialties, thinking particularly of conditions such as myositis and dermatomyositis. But as the majority of the people listening to this podcast will be <laughs> focused on the lungs, I wondered what you would like from respiratory clinicians uh, when it comes to collaborative working. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, a wish list
1: (laughs) yes shall i get my 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 wish list out yeah no i mean i think i mean we've touched upon these points i think over the last 20 minutes 30 minutes but um what would a room told to be seeking from a spiritual clinician it's that collaborative working co-development the concept of co-development i think is important um opportunity for Um, multidisciplinary approaches developing those pathways of care I often think that if you think about pathway of care it can be quite overwhelming but it's it's working with the respiratory team to think okay what is our ideal approach how our pathway and then breaking that down into constituent parts to see what's achievable what's feasible what is a bit more aspirational so it's that co-development I think um, and being open and receptive to shared working. I mean, you, you and we you've already touched upon key points in terms of how nurse specialists could we have challenges in workforce, et cetera, and this is where working together can can partly address that so bringing in rheumatology nurse specialists who have experience in drug monitoring etc as you mentioned just being open and i think collaborative to that i think is the fundamentally what's needed then to provide a effective platform to improve the sort of pathways for our care
0: and services for our patients so it's quite fluffy stuff but i think that's important Yeah, well, you've made me reflect during the course of this conversation. And I, you know, I I think that the ILD interdisciplinary team, the specialist clinical nurses, the specialist pharmacists are probably very much sticking in the respiratory space. And there is also the opportunity for nurses to collaborate across discipline, um, absolutely. And, absolutely, and and to help and support each other, particularly uh, when when we're we're running at a deficit uh, in in staffing, um, and I guess yeah. the same with physiotherapists as well. The, that cross cutting working could, could really help to st- stop the silo approach and integrate more. Um, yeah, um, it's
1: the sense that one doesn't need to be in control of patients within one's own territory. It's, it's thinking beyond that, no borders and trying to, yeah, a, a mixed skilled workforce, I suppose, is what you and I are both speaking to.
0: Yes. Yeah. And I like your approach to co-development. I think that's a word I'm going to <laughs> adopt after this podcast <laughs> and use wisely that's and meaningfully. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it's translating it, isn't it? Yeah. So thank you so much, Maya. I've really enjoyed our conversation. And also thank you uh, for listening to this week's uh, episode, which is the final episode of this podcast series. Please do uh, listen again. Thank you. Thank you.